It's Monday. It's February 3rd. And the phrase of the day is l'état c'est moi, which is French for I am the state. And it's synonymous with absolute monarchy. Used in a sentence, Alan Dershowitz created and then invoked the American doctrine of l'état c'est moi on behalf of Donald Trump last week, claiming that bribes don't count if you think you're a fucking sun god and therefore everything you do to stay in power is in the public interest. Yes. Hey, how did they solve the problem of the French monarchy again? I remember they had a great solution. I feel like I was a fan. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we even get cake. Ooh. I'm no illusions. I'm Eli Bosnick. I'm Heath Enright. And broadcasting delayed from America's far center, we are the Skeptocrats. On this week's episode, our nation unites for our quadrennial caring about Iowa. Everyone on Fifth Avenue without a bulletproof vest should be nervous as fuck. And Michael Marshall will join us for a Brexit interview. <laughs> but first, the rest of the intro music. Joining me for headlines tonight, our fellow skeptic rats, No Illusions, and Eli Bosnick. Gentlemen, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Get excited. Kick off in just a few hours from when we're recording. So what is your final score prediction? Let's hear it. Well... Yeah, but see, this sucks because if I totally nail it, everybody's going to say, oh, well, they must have recorded after and just said that. And if I don't, I'm going to look like the asshole who thought San Francisco would win by six. So I'm not going to make a prediction. <laughs> and no. I am going to guess bowling. Oh, so close. Because it's the Super Bowl. Yeah, because it's so the thought. Super Bowl. Got it. Yep. It's got it in there. Words. So Heath, no no predictions from you? You're just going to like throw it out for us, but nothing from you? Oh, I'm going Chiefs by six. All right. All right. Mm. I would rather be putting money on yours than my mine. boy Patrick Mahomes is unstoppable. Oh, really? Okay, so that's you. Okay, he's going to edit that out at the end if, if Mahomes <laughs> this up. He will. He, that one will get it. Okay, in our lead story tonight, the founding fathers rolled over in their graves on Friday because that was the best position for Republican senators to fuck them in the ass from. <laughs> Like, seriously, you know, the House might not burn down this time, emphasis on might, but we just proved last week that our fireproofing, our smoke alarms, and our fire extinguishers don't fucking work. So, yeah, for the first time in U.S. history, we just wrapped up an impeachment trial with no witnesses after, for the first time in U.S. history, wrapping up an impeachment investigation with a blanket refusal to cooperate from the person being impeached. Yeah, we just tabled... An impeachment. Exactly, yep. yes. You just tabled the idea of the Senate doing its fucking job. So, from now on, I want to see a physical fucking table on the Senate floor with John Bolton and Merrick Garland just sitting there at all times. It needs to be acknowledged before everything they ever do from now on. No shit. Okay, and I don't want to be a negative Nancy, but who were the people who thought the babies in cages party was going to be tugged by their heartstrings into a fair trial here? Like... Those motherfuckers would have given the Nazis till the count of three. People, yeah, we saw this. No, come. clearly. Right, right, clearly. No, we should have known Two better. and a half. Let's table. Let's table. <laughs> yeah. And look, in a bizarre kind of way, the Republican argument against calling witnesses is actually sound-ish. We already know he's guilty, right? That's their argument. We already know he's guilty, so why bother bringing in witnesses to prove it? I mean, it's a shitty fucking argument for acquittal, but at least it's a logically coherent argument for not bringing in witnesses. That being said, given the historical lack of cooperation from the White House, the only possible function declining to hear from witnesses can serve to somebody who's going to acquit is to insulate that person from knowing how guilty the person they're about to acquit is. 
Yes, from now on, this will be known as the la-la-la-I-can't-hear-witnesses defense. Yeah, right. Of course, in this crucial vote, there were two defectors from the party line. Uh, Mitt Romney proved himself to be the single person in that goddamn party with even the barest shred of integrity. And then Susan Collins pretended to have some, too, once Murkowski and Alexander agreed to fall on the sword for her. But every other member of that fucking body voted on Friday to know as little as possible about the case that they are constitutionally required to adjudicate. Yeah, and uh, I just want to reemphasize what Noah just said. The high watermark for Republican integrity is Mitt Romney. <laughs> yes. The guy who drove 12 hours with his dog on the roof of his car just gave the GOP a morality lesson. Yep. Yeah, right. He held them down and cut their hair. That's how he gave it to him. Yeah. But uh, on a day that history will remember for bullshit justifications, Marco Rubio managed to stand out in his feeble attempt to leave three photons of daylight between himself and Trump. When asked if he'd vote to convict, Rubio explained, quote, just because actions meet a standard of impeachment does not mean it is in the best interest of the country to remove a president from office. He continued, quote, what? I will not vote to remove the president because doing so would inflict extraordinary and potentially irreparable damage to our already divided nation, end quote. Because, you know, there's no better palliative for partisanship than a party line vote that ignores the goddamn evidence. Yeah, and that's fun. Rubio also just made a really good case for rejecting the 13th Amendment in 1865. Yeah, yes, exactly right. To be fair, he also made a really good case of rejecting the 13th Amendment just for Marco Rubio. We could put him in a little cage, <laughs> give him a water bowl. <sighs> and of course, while Trump isn't quite acquitted yet, we can expect that to come early this week, and we can expect an even more emboldened Trump to offer to fucking sell Putin Alaska for $40 million in an offshore account and three mature clones of Ivanka. Because look, <laughs> look when the Mueller investigation ended in a, he's definitely guilty, but we're not going to do anything about it, he followed that up by immediately doing this shit. Right? Like, what the fuck do they think he's going to do now that they've literally shown him he can get away with any crime with no more effort than petulance? This is a guy who's just built from crime and petulance held together by spray tanner. All right. Yeah. What's he going to do next? Well, according to Alan Dershowitz, Trump can just go ahead and shoot Joe Biden in the face on Fifth Avenue as long as he yells out national interest murder as he's doing yep. it. Yeah, yep. Or doesn't. We should point out. The reason this all happened, the vote and not listening to the thing, is because there will be no real consequences for voting this way for those senators, right? Like, vote them out, whatever, blah, they're going to lose their jobs. They don't give a third of a shit. One, because some of them live from states that would build a Death Star if we promised to only shoot it at the Muslim planets. And two, because suggesting conducting yourself this way politically should result in the same amount of harassment and public shaming as it does to say be a trans woman, sends a third of Democrats, let alone Republicans, into a swoon Scarlett O'Hara would take notes on. So, yeah, that's why they don't care about doing the right thing. It's because yeah. it doesn't matter. Right, well, and also because the American fucking voter has the memory of a goddamn goldfish. Yep. Uh, and since this story is ultimately about how dangerously stupid we are as a nation, I think it's a great time to hear from our first sponsor this week, The Great Courses Plus.
You know, one of the great things about having the Great Courses Plus as a sponsor is that we don't need any gimmicks to sell you on it. Which is why I, Carl the Book of Pegacorn, am here to tell you. No, 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 Carl, thank you, but the Great Courses Plus is a streaming service where you can unlock unlimited access to objective, reliable, and fascinating information on virtually any subject. Right, but if you ask me, no illusions. No, no, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, I don't need to ask you either. Our listeners love to learn, and they're going to love the new course from The Great Courses Plus, Fighting Misinformation, Digital Media Literacy. The course delves into the way information can be manipulated and why the wiring of our brain makes us susceptible to that information. Kind of the perfect thing for, like, listeners of this show. Plus, you'll learn various techniques, tools, and skills to verify the mass amounts of information crossing our paths. Just like Keith and I just crossed paths with this giant doomsday laser. A laser? What? Yeah. I- Again, this. I appreciate Laser. your enthusiasm. Not necessary. They're, listen to this. They're often our listeners. Their best deal ever. A free trial plus half off their three-month plan. That's just $10 a month for unlimited access. But to take advantage of this incredible offer, you must sign up using our special URL. Get all the details at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash skeptocrat. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash skeptocrat. You'll love it if you love learning. Exactly. Laser! Okay. (laughs) And we're back. Next up in headlines, in Kung Flu News. Thank you, Twitter, for that excellent pun. Some of us do our own chops, but some of us just go to Twitter. (laughs) According to my and all Jewish mothers everywhere, that disease from the stand is finally here, and we are all going to die. Yes, like SARS, Ebola, and communism, there's a thing in not America, and it's going to get to America any second Mm, now. Already here. See? Yeah, I told you. So, here's the story. (laughs) Coronavirus is standing right behind you, Eli. (laughs) Oh, my God. So, here's the story. Coronavirus is basically a group of viruses that, like, hang out together and have a podcast. And like most podcasts, that can be really, really bad. (laughs) Yeah, pretty sure coronavirus just endorsed Bernie Sanders. But it's not his fault. It's not he's he's a positive person. I love Bernie. It's not his fault. Just, you know, hopefully he doesn't lean into the endorsement from coronavirus. That'd be great. Yeah, if only if only it were on Dan Carlin's schedule, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So right now, there's a pretty serious outbreak of one such coronavirus designated 2019 NCOV that seems to have originated in Wuhan, China, in the province of Hubei. And as a result, two sets of things are happening. On the one side, it's been declared a public health emergency of international concern by the World Health Organization and the other grown-ups who know about diseases are like locking down cities and working on a vaccine and... Doing other grown-up stuff. They're doing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, here in America, women in Minneapolis who refuse to vaccinate for smallpox are sending their kids to school in surgical masks. <laughs> I guarantee it. <laughs> Indeed, they are, Noah. That is the other side. The other side is every possible media outlet and branded Twitter account has banded together to hide under your bed and yell, Ooga booga 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 booga! <laughs> in the desperate hope that you'll click on headlines like, and these are real, is coronavirus killing you right now? Or really? what you need to know about coronavirus and not read the actual article which says, are you in the Hubei province of China? No? Then fucking relax. <laughs> Said Eli to his mom. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks to that ridiculous second side being way too much of America, 
every single Asian American person has to dive into the goddamn bushes and hide every time they have a fucking sniffle. <laughs> <laughs> All that being said, this wouldn't be a puzzle in a thunderstorm show if we didn't leave you with something terrifying and depressing. So just a quick note, uh, it's not getting a lot of coverage, but the Chinese government is handling this thing super duper not great when it comes to censorship. Hmm. Yeah, like the fact that their primary concern is the spread of information isn't a great start. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so for those of you who have missed it, uh, reporters have been detained and had their footage deleted for... Visiting a hospital, people have been arrested and detained for posting on social media about the disease. And President Winnie the Pooh, you in a concentration camp if you disagree with me, wow. instructed authorities to Did real you get that quote, on Twitter too. <laughs> Did not got that made that one up. So, how dare you? <laughs> instructed people to quote strengthen the guidance of public opinions. End quote. So, huh. yeah, lots of. Stuff to be scared of in China, but coronavirus, eh, not in my top three. <laughs> yeah, right. Next up in headlines, it's time for the Iowa caucuses, which is pretty much exactly what it sounds like, and therefore a terrible idea. It's a bunch of white people gathering in big groups. <laughs> not a good idea. So before we get into an explanation of what's a caucus and why not just count the votes and... Why do we let Iowa have any power ever? Just a quick a note one. on the timing. We're recording this on Sunday, February 2nd, the day before the event, and we'll be releasing the show the morning of the 3rd. So we won't be able to talk about the results until the next episode, but we are going to talk about the process itself and also see how good we are at predicting things with the help of flawless prognosticators like Nate Silver. So let's do that first. Let's do a little <laughs> predicting. All right. And to be clear, man, you, you fuck this one up and we're demoting you to Nate Bronze, motherfucker. You are on notice. <laughs> okay. I just want to throw this out there. Every time we make a Nate Silver joke, someone sends us this like heartfelt, legitimately concerned email that we hate Nate Silver. So just to be clear, no. we don't hate Nate Silver. That's a joke. But more importantly, if you're that worried about Nate Silver's reputation, don't bother us. Work on building a time machine that goes back to 2016. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you should do. Back when he was Nate Gold, yeah. Also, that was a Joe Rogan joke earlier, not a Bernie Sanders joke. The butt of that joke was Joe Rogan, to be no, clear. No, that tweet's already written. He Burn, way no, too late. This is staying in. Bernie Sanders might win Iowa and is delightful. Joe Rogan is not. That's uh, <laughs> on the record. Okay, so... Let's let's do some predicting. According to most of the polls that I've seen recently, not including the one that the Des Moines Register was supposed to release last night, and then like <laughs> yeah, Pete Buttigieg whined and they had to can't. I, I don't know exactly what happened, but they didn't do the big poll that they normally do that uh, a couple days before. But according to the ones I've seen recently, Joe Biden is in the lead with about twenty five percent of the vote, followed by Bernie Sanders, who's in the low twenties, and those two are followed by Liz Warren and. Uh, not a Mayor Pete, who both have about 15% of the vote. And the only other viable candidate seems to be Amy Klobuchar, who's actually had a bit of a surge this week in Iowa, and she's somewhere in the 10 to 15% range. And keep that 15% number in mind. It's weirdly important in the caucusing process in Iowa. Also, keep in mind that polling percentage and odds of winning the most Iowa delegates are two different things. According to 538, right, yeah. 
every candidate's chance of winning the most delegates, and that's the win condition of the Iowa caucuses, getting the most delegate equivalents and therefore at the convention the most delegates, the the chances for everyone under 40%, according to 538. And their simulations actually show Bernie as the most likely to win, despite Biden's edge in standard poll numbers. So again, those things are not the same. So based on everything we just said, plus a sprinkle of starry-eyed optimism that we all have as Americans who follow politics. Based on all that, who are you guys each predicting to win the Iowa caucuses? Give give us a top five in order. Okay. Um, The guy who thought the Niners were going to win this time yesterday (laughs) um, uh, is going to go Bernie Biden booty Warren and surprise right in at five, Marianne Williams. Oh, we can only hope. We can only hope. See, I'm going to go Bernie in the top slot as well. I'm thinking Warren's going to pull the two spot, then Biden, then Tim Ryan in the (laughs) remaining three spots. Get on my level. Eli, on your level, there are six items in the top five. So I don't want to be on your level. I I wouldn't even know which fucking level I was on. Tim Ryan's just listening to this wiping Super Bowl wing sauce off his hands onto his shirt, (laughs) being like, oh, Eli thinks I'm still in this. He gets it. I'll go to Iowa. Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) if you're listening to this after the results came out, here's what just happened in Iowa that led to those results that you already know about that we don't. So. Instead of a standard primary vote where everyone just says who they want and you count the votes, Iowa does a system that incorporates more public yelling um, Mm because because that's important and and also takes way more time because, you know, voter turnout is apparently too high with regular voting. So they they (laughs) fix that also. (laughs) So voters, they all go to their local polling gladiator coliseum station and go through a series of rounds Side note, several of these Coliseum Gladiator polling locations are outside of Iowa, including satellite caucuses in Paris, France, Glasgow, Scotland, and Tbilisi, Georgia. Really? <laughs> Apparently, lots of Iowans are wintering in the former Soviet Socialist Republic of Georgia. I don't know. And by the way, if you're not familiar, it's just like my Georgia, except it's even more Christian, and the R is supposed to face that way. That's how it's actually. Yeah, okay. It's a a yaw. So (laughs) here's how the caucus thing works. In round one, everyone physically groups up on a floor area that represents their first choice of candidate, and there's a count. And all the candidates who meet the viability threshold of 15% are still in the running, And the candidates below that number are potentially dropped out. And then there's a period of yelling called the realignment. And all the people who wanted a candidate who got under 15% have to either pick a viable candidate, stick with their loser, or yell enough to get a bunch of people to bump their candidate above 15% by defecting from their group and going to the the not viable candidate, getting it above that 15% number. And... Until this year, you could yell at the people whose first choice was viable and get that defection to happen from anywhere, including the top candidates. So even the round one winners weren't guaranteed to survive at these things. Shit was bananas. It was like right out of South Park, just like rabble, rabble, rabble for an entire night. (laughs) But Iowa finally decided 
to have the viable votes from the first round be locked in. So the Yelly part can only target some of the voters this year. And that's followed by one more round of partially limited yelling and then a final <laughs> count. That's how they do it in Iowa this year. And from there, the Iowa delegates for the national convention are divided proportionally among those viable winners that are left at the end. It's like it's like everybody's kid got to take turns making the next rule. It really <laughs> is. But hell, if keeping a system based on a time when paper wasn't plentiful enough to be relied on isn't peak America, I don't know what is. <laughs> I, I would nominate you spelling peak America P-E-E-K, but you know. It's, it's <laughs> Tough but fair, no illusions. Tough but fair. P-I-Q-U-E, yeah. <laughs> so one other aspect, by the way, that makes this crazy is the backroom dealing between campaigns to control the results of those yelly parts. For example, the Biden and Sanders campaigns have spoken with the Yang gang about a deal to get most of Yang's votes during that first realignment, assuming Yang doesn't hit 15%. And the Buttigieg and Klobuchar teams both spoke with Tom Steyer's team about doing the same thing. Uh, I, I guess it's good that low polling candidates have a bit of power. So there has to be some kind of compromise and everybody's ideas get represented in some theoretical way. But it doesn't materialize based on the issues. It, it materializes right. based on not that, not issues, nope. which is dumb. Yeah. Just in a smoky back room somewhere, Joe Biden pushes a briefcase full of cash to someone. You will do the hokey pokey and turn yourself about. <laughs> you will. So, what did I describe just now that, that made you think hokey pokey exactly? Something about the yelling and people moving into different groups. You were seeing hokey them, pokey. Very square dancey hokey pokey. It's not out of the question. This is Iowa. I was going to say, I, I can see square dance. I can see how you got to square dance, but... Uh... So... Uh, I'm describing this absurd event in lots of negative terms, which I think is, is accurate. But in fairness, it does have one advantage. Unlike a standard primary vote, a caucus gives us some idea of the voters' preferences beyond just their first choice. And a ranked choice voting system is clearly more democratic in that sense compared to a first choice only vote. All that being said, a state could accomplish that by just... You know, having ranked choice voting, but without that's a thing. the Yelly Town yeah. meeting, that's a giant pain in the ass for most people to attend. Right. And and look, there, there's even something to be said for favoring the candidate whose supporters are like, you know, willing to stay through this whole ordeal. But I feel like a step towards the Hunger Games is a step in the wrong direction. <laughs> OK, well, strong disagree, but I am not having that fight on air. <laughs> not again. Well, in Iowa. OK, yeah, right. In Iowa. Eli volunteers his tribute. I volunteer Eli's tribute. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we should, oh, we got to get you to the next, maybe what's happening four years from now, we'll get you to the Iowa caucuses. We'll see what happens. Nice. All right. So one last question to address. Why do we let Iowa have this kind of power? That's a very important question. And mm -hmm. the answer is because we fucking do. We just do. That's the answer. <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, it's like the Lions playing on Thanksgiving, even though they don't have any fans, except with consequences <laughs> that, that are racist. Racist yeah. consequences to yeah. that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, somebody has to go first. And states kept pushing their primary further away from Election Day. And somehow that hopping process stopped 
with Iowa sitting at the beginning of the list. And for some reason, both major parties just made a rule that Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada get to go in February. And everyone else waits until March or later. And by the way, if you notice that only one of those states has any black people in it, uh, that's not a coincidence at all. That's, <laughs> no. I'm sure it's no, a it's, feature, not a bug. It's what's true. It coincides with some other things in reality. But it's not a coincidence. That's not how I would say it. Yeah, so what this means is the candidates looking to become the most powerful leader in the world have to pretend they care way too much about stupid shit that happens in Iowa, despite the sharp demographic trend in the United States since whenever this was happening decades ago. The trend is away from being the land of white people and corn. Now, right. I guess we might be trending back in that direction a little bit recently, but still, it's dumb. So that's how it works for the most influential moment in the process of choosing a nominee to run for president of the United States. And if I may postscript slightly to address something, there is a, shall I call it, passionate contingent of folks who have different favorites in this caucus than we do who listen to our show. And when we talk about liking our candidates more than theirs, they enjoy declaring us, you know, Elizabethan slave owners. So here's all I ask for them. If your guy wins, and we all fucking know who your guy is, just, <laughs> just stay tuned to this channel while we spend the next year sucking his dick and literally begging people to vote for him, yeah. otherwise throwing our support behind your candidate, and then, and then, consider how you behaved when we expressed a slight preference for not your guy, and you might understand why. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, to, to be clear, there is an alternate universe where you're sick of hearing us say you should have voted for Bernie. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it could be a future of this universe. Uh, Bernie Sanders is great. He has almost He's the exact great. same I'm platform as Liz Warren. President. I want one of them to win. They're both very similar and would be great for this country. Jewish. Atheist. The criminal Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> Sorry. Bums. Yeah. I should have been more clear. But yes. Yeah. That's what that's what I meant. But yeah, they, they would both be amazing. I don't understand how everybody in both of those camps doesn't agree that they'd both be amazing and are very similar. Good recipient of headlocks. There's so many good <laughs> things about it. <laughs> All right. Well, this will be fun. Got plenty of emails about that. Uh, whatever we just said that seems, I don't know, it felt pretty diplomatic and open to like, whatever. No. On no, that no. note, we're going to take one more quick break for a word from our sponsor, Policy Genius. All right, you guys ready to do the ad for Policy Genius? Uh, no need, Noah. It's uh, 2020, so by the time Heath and I's bodies die, they're going to have downloaded us into a computer. That's right, like Black Mirror. Just like that show. Oh, okay, but what if you died like tomorrow? Ooh. I did not think of that. Now we got to go through all the hassle of life insurance, I guess. Yeah. I mean... That's why there's Policy Genius. Policy Genius makes finding the right life insurance a breeze. In minutes, you can compare quotes from the top insurers to find your best price. You can save $1,500 or more by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. $1,500? That's a lot of cash. And Policy Genius doesn't just make life insurance easy. They can also help you find the right home and auto insurance or disability insurance. Yeah, because we don't have self-driving cars or robot arms. 
Yeah, when exactly. So if your science fiction dreams for 2020 still haven't become science fact, don't get discouraged. Get life insurance. It takes just a few minutes to find your best price and apply at policygenius.com. Policy Genius will always get the future wrong. Better get life insurance right. And we're back. Next up in headlines in, but it's called Facebook news tonight. Facebook has agreed to pay $550 million out of the goodness of their hearts. Really? <laughs> yeah, at least according to Facebook. Yeah. Uh, they just felt like giving that money away. No big deal. Don't worry about it. But according to the class action lawsuit, they gave that $550 million to settle it was for literally selling your face to don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere, Tom from MySpace, he, he found this story on Bing, and he's just smiling. <laughs> now, I, I, like, I feel like that would be his first smile in a long time, sir. He's yeah, got a lot of friends. <laughs> a lot of friends. Top five. Had a lot of friends. Right. So the origins of this lawsuit came from Facebook's photo labeling service called Tag Suggestions, which uses face matching software to suggest the names of people and users' photos. So the state of Illinois, which has biometric privacy laws, called up Facebook, and the conversation went a little something like this. Hey, Facebook, um, those photos you tagged. You didn't steal them and sell them to anyone, did you? What? No. That's crazy. Okay. You said that kind of weird. Well, we're going to sue you just to be sure. And the truth, it'll come out in the lawsuit, okay? So we'll, mm -hmm. that's cool. Mm. How would you like $550 million? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, one last thing about this lawsuit. The reason we know about it is because Facebook disclosed the settlement as part of its quarterly financial results. Yeah, they kind of have to. It's like, uh, so yeah, we had a payroll. Uh, we bought bagels for the mm -hmm. office. Yep. Settled a $550 million lawsuit for stealing people's uh, faces. So, sorry, we wait, to, wait, we, what? Uh, bagels for the office. We, we bought it for everybody. <laughs> is that the only thing you said? Yeah, and I just want to point out one last thing. As the New York Times said, that $550 million amounts to a rounding error for Facebook, whose yeah. revenue in that same report was reported at $21 billion in the fourth quarter of 2019. Jesus. So, yeah. Another, let me do the math, 200 and something lawsuits of this size, and we will all be square with Facebook for stealing oh, our faces. Go. So, stay tuned. <laughs> All right. Uh, Eli, one other. We're doing a lot of predicting today. Yes. Um, I believe you suggested that everybody short Tesla stock at $290. How's Did that I? going I for you? I don't. I'm just know checking now. It's at 650 Oh, mm. Jesus. So to be Christ. clear, shorting like is when you buy it in short order. Like, right? You just buy it very quickly. Uh-huh. Should just sell your shorts for Tesla stock. Okay. No, here's the thing. Those of us who have held the short, we are going to see the best. What? It's like a long-term investment plan for Tesla <laughs> against it. <laughs> yeah, really, if you consider entropy, you can short anything yeah. on a long enough time. You're, I'm sorry. <laughs> are you saying that Tesla's going to last forever? No. <laughs> you... 
Heat said. Apparently, you haven't heard of heat death. Okay, I'm fine. shorting the sun. Yeah. <laughs> it's the law of energy constant. What is it? Creation equal mass destroyed. Mastered. Destroyed. Heisenberg uncertainty principle. He couldn't have known. Double slit. Two Double vaginas. Slit. It's the photo- two vaginas. It's, it's particles and waves. You have to let both the stock. It's in. both. So technically, when racist. you sell it, you buy it. That's that's what they say to me. <laughs> All right. Because I won't leave their lobby. <laughs> All right. And finally tonight. Friday was a rough day. Not only did the U.S. Senate decide that considering evidence, well, actually, considering, considering evidence, they decided (laughs) considering, considering evidence is not important for a fucking trial. And we also got to watch the culmination of a political disaster across the pond known as Brexit. And joining us to discuss all that is our expert on the independent island near Europe known as the United Kingdom. <laughs> Although both parts of that title are kind of misleading at this point. Marsh is here, yeah, though. Right. No, that's true. <laughs> Marsh, uh, condolences and welcome back. Yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, I'm, all I'm going to say is we've been uh, ignoring the possibility of considering evidence for a good three and a half years now. So it's nice you <laughs> yeah. guys to finally catch up with us. Hey, we invented that. That's been our thing. We did that before <laughs> many times also. We did that when we took your team. It's a time zone thing, though. That's that's what it is. It just seems early. It's not a competition. It It is. (laughs) But if it is, we are winning. We're both losing. Yeah, Yeah, we are both losing on a global scale. Everybody's losing the game. It's great. I mean, Russia's crushing it. Russia is not losing this game. Russia is crushing it right now. (laughs) Actually, good point. (laughs) And and I'll tell you what, if we have to declare a loser amongst us, I'm the only person who on Saturday had to go to a goddamn cookout full of rednecks, so... Uh, that we're doing uh, flip <laughs> victory side, laps. Flip side, so. when you didn't murder anybody on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Heath. That's exactly what I was doing on yep. Saturday, was not <laughs> murdering anyone. It's right here in my not murdering notebook next to hanging yeah, out with exactly. Brett Kavanaugh. <laughs> not murdering, not raping. Not murdering, not having gay sex with Aaron Hernandez. That's what it says right there on that day. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He killed a bunch of people because he yep. was a homosexual. Well, it's on Netflix. Yeah. Check at least one or two. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about Brexit, I guess. Uh, first question for you, Marsh. How are you? You okay? How's, yeah, how's it going? Not, not great, Heath. Not, not great. Mm-hmm. Not great at all. So Brexit has happened. A- asterisk. And we'll, we'll park the asterisk for, for just a moment. Okay. But, oh, God. So... To let you know what it feels like to be in Brexit Britain, yeah, Brexit has been like this ticking bomb that landed in our living rooms three and a half years ago. And for so much of that time, lots of us have tried everything we can to defuse the bomb or to at least convince the police to send over the bomb squad and do something about the bomb or at the very least to try and persuade our uncle to stop kicking the fucking bomb. <laughs> consider, consider, considering that there's a yeah, bomb. consider, considering the fact the bomb's there. But, like, that's been a lot of our time, but so much of the rest of the, the time since June 2016 has just been living with the constant tick, 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 and it's just been utterly fucking exhausting. But then, you know, the last hope we had that there was any way at all to avoid this thing blowing up, that, that ended in December when Boris Johnson won that landslide election and then since then we just we've known that this moment was coming we've known there's literally nothing we can do about it and so we've just sat next to the ticking bomb and waited 
And so the weird thing was when this explosion happened on you know 11 o'clock, uh, 11 p.m. on January 31st, it was met with a kind of weird, sad resignation. It was kind of like, we left and that was that. Wait, they did it at 11 p.m. So it was like midnight Belgium time? Like, yes, they did. And I, I'm not 100% sure Europe if time? that was a fuck you. I, I honestly don't know if that was a fuck you to them or whether that was in the law from the, the European side. Um, I genuinely don't know. And it could go either way. I didn't bother looking that up because it just happened. Wow. Uh, also, by the way, how how much of a landslide was Boris Johnson's victory compared to his other ones? Well, so the the previous time, so Boris Johnson had never won an election before. He'd never fought an election before. All the previous Tory uh, elections had been pretty close, right? When Theresa May had her election, it was, she, she had a majority going into the election and then she had a smaller majority going in, uh, coming out of the election. And then she lost that majority during the, uh, d- during the sort of the, the subsequent weeks. Um, when Boris took over, he started with, uh, Barely held together majority if you sort of stitched in various other weird parties like the DUP. And he lost that during the process of negotiating Brexit. So we thought best case scenario, and this was genuinely the best case scenario, was a hung parliament, no outright winner. We'd have to cobble together a coalition. Mm. And instead he won by a significant number of seats. So it was Labour's worst performance since something like the 1950s or something like that. Um, it was just an unprecedented level of uh, of, of clarity in what the public decided. So like even I grew up in the northeast of England where it was all mining communities that were shut down under Thatcher that I thought would never vote Tory in my lifetime. And my home seat went Tory. A lot of people who remember the miners' strike, remember being impoverished by a government that was deliberately starving them in order to make a political point and voted for that party this time around. That's how bad it was. Oh, wow. So you, North, you guys are like the Rust Belt. You guys are like West Virginia and Pennsylvania. You, oh, man. Yeah, it was it was rough. It was a it was a rough election, and uh, it it meant that that January thirty first was inevitable. There was there was no way of stopping it because the only way we could have stopped it is if there was some kind of hung parliament and cobbled together a coalition and then prove that the the country didn't have a single clear view and we'd have to sort of sort it out again. Um, but no, Boris Johnson ran on a platform of we will get Brexit done and a frankly sickening level of the country believed him and went with it and so here we are brexit got done asterisk great yeah, okay yeah i was <laughs> i was gonna ask you about that you said <laughs> brexit happened asterisk you've said it twice now what do you mean by that and like also what's being affected like right away today tomorrow this week yeah so this is the thing nothing is being affected immediately and this is the this is one of the problems this is the next problem we have to face because britain we're no longer members of the eu but instead we've we've officially started the transition period uh, which was dictated by the withdrawal agreement which is the thing that boris johnson and theresa may both tried to get a version of their withdrawal agreement through several different times uh, and it always got bounced back in catastrophic defeats until this last election when he's got such a majority that he can push through his withdrawal agreement and therefore we enter this transition phase. So we're transitioning now from an EU member into a non-EU member. But the thing is, during the transition, the only thing that really materially changes is that we no longer get to sit in the big room with all of the other adults when they're making the decisions (laughs) about what laws apply to us. Before we made those laws, for the rest of this year, we'll just obey them and we've got no say in them. 
on purpose. And that will last until the end of the year. Yeah, and that's, that we've done that on purpose. That that was us taking back control of our country. Uh, <laughs> yes. And part of that, that taking back control uh, process involves us saying, okay, we won't decide what laws are, uh, what, what laws come in. You decide what laws we obey. Um, and this is the transition period until the end of this year. And we've got until the end of December to figure out whatever relationship we're going to have with the EU, which means we've got 11 months to figure out how we get together a trade deal that with the EU, who represents 60% of our economy, is trading with the EU. So getting a trade deal with them is massively important. Um, but we won't actually get to see what Brexit looks like until after the transition period and then the start of whatever we manage to negotiate in the next 11 months. And it's worth pointing out, we've got 11 months to do this, which is a very short amount of time. The EU was offering, was willing to offer us a much longer transition period, basically as long as we needed. They preferred to offer a longer one, but the Tory government said, no, we'll agree to this in 11 months. What? And, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So because this is such a political point for them, they just they want to get Brexit out of the way, so they're rushing everything through, which means we now have to negotiate a complex trade agreement with our trading partners who represent 60% of our economy in 11 months. But it's not just that because it's not just the EU, right? When we were EU members, we benefited from the deals that the EU had with all of the other nations, like Japan and South Korea. They had 35, I think, or 37 deals already in place. Uh, they had partial agreements with 48 other countries. They have 25 agreements that are ready to come online any moment now. So when the transition ends at the end of 2020, we'll need to have a lot of those figured out as well to, pre to, to prevent our economy being completely fucked. And so far... The UK has 20 trade deals sorted by themselves because you can actually negotiate trade deals for yourself when you're part of the EU, as, you know, negotiating as a block. So we've got 8% of our total trade value <laughs> sorted. Well, awesome. Um, the, the biggest of those deals, the biggest of those 20 deals are with Norway, Iceland and Switzerland. And the only way we got those deals was by pointing to the EU's agreement and saying, we'll have what they're having. And that gets harder <laughs> to do. Wow. That gets harder to do when you're on your own. Um so this, oh, and it's, it's insane. We've got 11 months, 11 months to sort all of this out concurrently, uh, which, which, you know, the, the deal that the EU signed with Canada took five years to sort out. We've got 11 months to do that. We need to conduct all of these trade negotiations concurrently because they all need to be done for us to not be totally fucked. And the, the, the beautiful ironic kicker here is that we as a country have got almost zero expertise in negotiating trade deals because we were in the EU and the EU's expert <laughs> trade negotiation team oh, did that. Oh, yeah. Wow. You don't even have a guy for that no. shit. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be tricky because the guy we've been using or the team we've been using who've got literally four or five decades of expertise behind them, they are the EU's team. And as of now, they're sat on the other side of the table to us. We're negotiating <laughs> with them from a position of no strength, no expertise, no experience, negotiate oh. with the people who know everything. So to use an analogy, we've just wily coyoted ourselves off the cliff. And we've got all the Brexiters, they're saying, you see, we've stepped off the cliff and nothing bad's happened. And that's because they're refusing to look down. But the rest of us, we're listening to the wind whistling by our ears, and we're currently taking bets on what the ground's made out of when we get there. Great. Whoa. So you're like holding up signs to the Tories that are like, this is air under us. And they're like, what are you talking about? And that's what's happening for the next 11 months. And then you're going to fall. Yeah. And we'll be plummeting towards the ground, hoping there are people there assembling a safety net. But we left the cliff before we knew there was going to be a safety net or not. And so we, we have no power in this now. We just watch to see what the ground's made of when we get there. Great. Mm. So like New Year's Eve 
that'll be it's december 31st is the deadline yes it is yeah so that's gonna be one hell of a new year's eve party new year's eve party they're gonna have done like another you know two percent of the trade deals and they're just gonna slide across the table like old lang syne is that helpful (laughs) no yeah We'll have locked down the crucial Liechtenstein and Moldova trade agreements, but uh, we'll still be working on the rest. Wow. Okay. So, uh, this is not sounding good. Uh, <laughs> another question, probably won't have a good answer either. Which parts of the British population are being hurt the most? I guess not right away, you're saying, but which will be hurt the most by Brexit when it does finally fully materialize? And which parts of the European population are being hurt the most also? Yeah, so the parts of the British population that are going to be hurt the most, uh, that's going to be the millionaires, the ruling class, the media barons, and the political elite. Now, I'm, I'm fucking with you. It's going to be the working class poor people every single fucking time. <laughs> I got um, so confused for a second. I was like, oh my God, do I not know oh how to read? What am I doing? I'm pro-Brexit. I don't know how to deal with it. I just sent a mean tweet to a woman just in case. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be the people whose jobs rely on trade with the EU and things like that. So like just this week, the government's indicated that uh, they're not going to have alignment with the EU on uh, on imports and exports and things like that. So they're not going to they're going to be instead checking all of the imports at the border, which that's not something you need to do when you're importing from someone else who already obeys the same rules as you, has the same regulations as you. You know, you, you check them when they come into the EU and then it moves around the EU because we're all in the same agreements, we're all in the same regulations. It doesn't matter where it moves because you're not going to be breaking anyone's laws or regulations by moving around. Um, but now because we're going to be importing from Europe and we're not in Europe and we're not going to be aligned on regulations, we'll have to manually check all imported parts heading to, for example, factories and all the parts that are heading back out of the UK once they've left our factories, which essentially signals the end of the UK car and aerospace industries because all the jobs that are associated with them, they all rely on something called just-in-time supply of parts in the EU and the export the components that they make with the same kind of just-in-time arrangement, which means you don't have massive warehouses filled with parts waiting to be transported around, You can't, but you also can't wait for anything to arrive. You, you need literally, I think Nissan's factory in the Northeast said, if things are minutes late, it will slow down their production to the point of not being viable in the UK anymore. But everything's going to be, all the trucks coming in from Europe are going to be checked individually on the way through, which is going to add at least a few minutes to every single truck, which means that uh, there's going to be a backlog generating. And the best estimates for, where the back, for how long that backlog of checking is going to take is between two hours and two weeks. Um, so... Goodbye, Great. just in time. Goodbye, all the you know the aerospace jobs and the car manufacturing jobs based on that. Enjoyably, some parts of the the British population who are going to get hurt by this are the ones who retired to Spain, and you know the vast majority of whom voted to leave the EU, thinking it wouldn't negatively affect them because they're British and therefore they're not immigrants. So they may well have voted away their pensions and their access to healthcare uh, whilst living in Spain. And they can't move around Spain with any of their possessions worth anything because they'll have to be importing and exporting their own possessions as they (laughs) transfer through borders. Okay. Um, Wow. That's pretty fun. You got to admit, like, everything sucks, but that's pretty fucking great if people voted for Brexit and now they, like, lose all their stuff. Yeah. So that's so that's fun. Um, As for the European population, well, basically, the Europeans who are living here they're going to have a shit time of things, probably. The UK has got a lot shittier for European citizens. It's a much more hostile environment. 
We've seen uh, a rise of, uh, of of hate crimes. We've seen just this week posters being put up on uh, people's doors in a in a block of flats saying, "From now on, because we've left the EU, uh, you speak English in this block of flats, or you fuck off back to where you came from and let an English person have this flat." So there's this kind of hostile thing that's happening because the kind of people who wanted to vote for Brexit in order to get rid of foreign people now feel emboldened by what they've achieved. So that's bad. Boy, that's got to be really rough when your whole country feels like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. Um, but these, but there's also, there's people who've lived here for, you know, the majority of their lives. People who are French, who moved here in their, you know, in their youth, in their childhood, who've been here for 60 years. And they're being told they have to apply for permission to stay in the country. You know, a country they've, it's to, uh, the, the country they've built their homes in, some of whom, when they apply for these for this permission, which isn't free, you've got to pay money to apply to stay in the home you've built in the country you've called your home for you know 50 years in some cases um some people are having it refused on minor technicalities you can't show what you were doing 35 years ago on a tuesday so your permission to stay to get settled status is revoked or in many in some cases their spouses get their permission revoked or their children are told they can't stay so your mum and dad can but you sonny don't get to stay here so there's all this horrible shittiness going on and we haven't even begun to really look at how bad this is going to get because we've been too busy doing everything else as a country because we suddenly have this 11 month deadline uh, to to get everything sorted but on the flip side, those Europeans living in the, in the UK, they still have freedom of movement around the EU. And in many ways, they actually have more rights than we UK citizens have right now in terms of where they can live and love and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, the, there's, there's swings around of us, really. Interesting. OK, well, so this sounds, again, mostly terrible. It sounds like it's even going to be bad for business owners and some of the rich people, too. Are, are there groups that benefit in the long term or like... What, the Tories who voted for this and wanted this to happen, what are they honestly hoping is the benefit to whomever long term? Is there one? Yeah. So there are some groups who are going to benefit from this. I mean, first of all, there are plenty of rich people who are set to make a load of money from shorting the pound and from trying to oh. push to, to move the UK into a, a low tax, uh, essentially a tax haven, is one of the visions that Jacob Rees-Mogg has for, for Britain. You know, we can become the Singapore of near Europe. <laughs> um Oh. And some some of the very politicians who push for Brexit in the first place are the ones standing to gain a lot of money from this. And this doesn't seem to bother a lot of people uh, on the side of Brexit because they still get to have their thing where they can tell a French person to fuck off. So it doesn't matter who's uh, <laughs> cynically pulling the strings for financial gain. I think America's going to benefit from this because um, you you know for absolute <laughs> thank you uh, you know for absolute <laughs> certain that we're completely fucked without a trade deal with you. Um, and therefore we'll be basically forced to accept pretty much any conditions you impose as part of that trade deal. We haven't got any leverage. We have a master negotiator, too. Don't worry, Marsh. Yeah, our guy will fuck this up. Don't worry about it, man. Just try to get it done quick yeah. is all. You'll be over a barrel, and then he'll, like, roll under it somehow by accident and hurt himself. <laughs> Trust me. Well, I think the worry is that he's going to fuck it up, but the, the style of fuck-up that he'll do is by being more greedy than is, uh, than is prudent. So we know yeah. for a fact that um, one of the things that America is pushing for is access to the National Health Service and to push for U.S. levels of drug pricing, which would cause the collapse of the National Health Service. But, yeah. but it would mean that the U.S. Uh, drug companies would be able to charge the same amount that they do in the U.S. and therefore make a lot more, a lot more money from it. Um, so I think 
the the style of fuck up that Trump is likely to do is unlikely to be a fuck up that will uh, be that be beneficial to us. I think it's more of a fuck up that will just be detrimental to everybody involved. Well, but yeah, but if you're lucky, maybe he'll like he'll like manipulate the prices of dorgs instead you know there's you there's at least that possibility you at least have that going. yeah yeah the one thing we've got going for our country is that someone accidentally typos in the trade agreement that's <laughs> what we're holding on to right now um, that's more than we've got though, so. and then you've got the uh, the so there's other eu countries that that could well benefit from this as well um for example for a long time the uk has uh held uh, a claim over gibraltar the island off the coast of spain which is officially british territory or at least it was British territory because we're no longer now in the EU. We're not in the club and therefore the EU no longer has any reason to favour our claim over Gibraltar than Spain's or even to stay neutral. They don't need to stay out of that argument anymore because the only side of the argument that's in the club is Spain's side. So obviously their only loyalty is to their own members. So given that any trade agreement that the UK has with the EU has to be ratified by the remaining members, Spain are obviously going to say, well, we won't ratify any trade deal unless you recognise Spanish sovereignty over Gibraltar. And we're going to be take it or leave it. And by and, and the it that we're taking or leaving is 60% of our economy. So we're basically there for anybody to pick at if they want. And then I'm pretty confident that the Kremlin are having a field day about this right now. I can only be pretty confident. I can't be certain because the Tory government who pushed for Brexit in the first place, they then, once they were in, commissioned an investigation into the scale of Russian interference in the Brexit referendum. But they've refused to release the results of that report, lest it cast any doubt on the legitimacy of the vote. So it was probably fine. It's probably absolutely (laughs) fine. Absolutely fine. So you ask what the Tories are benefiting from it. Well, what the Tories want out of this, secretly, I think, what they really want is they want their shiny new majority government to not be tainted by the constant association with Brexit. You know, they want to become known as the government who got Brexit done to the point where they, they even released a line of merchandise bearing the slogan, got yeah. Brexit done. It, as wow. shit oh, as oh that. they've changed it to got now? Yeah, they, yeah. They, they moved the E to the one out. Great. Oh, wow. Like Larry the fucking cable guy. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get Brexit done was the uh, election slogan. Got Brexit done is what what's on the, uh, uh, the, the memento tea towel that they've released uh, that you can buy to, uh, to commemorate <laughs> the fact that they wow. got Brexit done. But the Tories, they've seen Cameron's legacy and they saw Theresa May's entire premiership completely consumed and destroyed by Brexit. And they didn't want that to happen to another one of their prime ministers, which is why they're rushing this through as quickly as possible, because it's the, the sort of the ripping the bandaid off. But the thing you're ripping off is 60 percent of your economy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's ripping the bandaid off while it's still bleeding. Yes, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, they also want to cash in on the public political fatigue because people are just absolutely fucking exhausted about politics right now. And so they want to show themselves to be the strong, stable solution to the political problem that they needlessly caused. Yeah, right. Jesus. Uh, Also, question. You guys have a dedicated towel for tea? Is that a thing? What's that? (laughs) What what do you dry dishes with when you're you're doing the washing up after a meal? Oh, a towel. It's just a towel. Well, no, but yeah, a towel towel is what you dry your hands on. Do you mean like tea is for towel? Like spelling? No, it's it's spelled T E A towel, but it's specifically for for drying dishes. Because you, you you got surely you guys don't. Yeah, we 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 call those 
dish towels. Dish yeah, towels. Right. Well, we call them tea towels, but yeah, dish towels <laughs> seems because dish towel sounds like dishcloth, and a dishcloth is like the minging, horrible, dirty thing that's in the sink that you use to to harbor germs and spread them around the dishes as in the pretense of cleaning them. Oh, <laughs> uh, we call oh, that a true. sponge. Oh, sponge, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we have the sponges as well. It's uh, what what a world, what a world. Interesting. <laughs> See, this is why you have a Brexit. This is your this is your fault. Whatever. <laughs> Crazy different towels everywhere. You keep an extra one next to the sponge just to be dirty. I don't know what you guys are doing over there. <laughs> Neither do we. Yeah. Neither do we. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. Um, okay, one other question really quick about the the Tories. Is is there something that they're lying about? Like, you, you kind of describe what they're honestly hoping for long term as, as the benefit here. Are they dishonestly hoping for certain benefits too i feel like there's like a racism thing going on maybe yeah i mean dishonestly they're hoping for you know upland sunlit uplands of easy new trade deals unfettered freedom and sovereignty the glorious dawn of a new era of uk prosperity potentially even that we do so well that our former colonies decide to get back on board and rejoin the, the great british trade <laughs> that's that's all the stuff that will dishonestly happen as a result of brexit but Marsh, really- i'm in <laughs> i am in <laughs> But but really, it is all about pandering to whatever gets it over the line. And so there is a significant part of the, the Brexit vote. It's not the overwhelming part of the Brexit vote, but it's not nothing, uh, the, the side of the vote that did want to get rid of foreign people. You know, to the point where there are people who are here from India and Thailand who are being told, we voted to, to leave the EU, you should fuck off back to where you came from, you're going to have to leave because we Brexited. Not, miss, not connecting with the fact that neither India nor Thailand are in the EU and it won't matter at all. <laughs> the actual immigration ramifications of, uh, of, of Brexit, ironically enough, are more brown people are likely to move here. Because we're going to need trade deals with all parts of the world individually because we can't do collective bargaining. We're not the size of the EU anymore. We're just Britain, which means when we go to India and say, we want a trade deal with you, they say, great, we want a certain number of our citizens to be allowed to migrate over there and uh, have jobs and study there. We need a we want a higher number of immigrants allowed as a, as a sort of proportion or a quarter or things like that. Oh, that's actually good. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 good for anybody who has like an open kind of uh, internationalist view of the world, you know, wel welcome all people. But the problem is the people who voted Brexit because they think it means fewer foreign people will just see the foreign people that you wouldn't recognise on the street as being foreign. If you're of that mindset, you wouldn't think, well, that Polish person or that French person, I can immediately identify them as not from round here. Those are going to be replaced by people that those types of people would believe weren't from round here. And so when people vote to lower lower immigration and what they see is a more visible, uh, higher percentage of immigration, it's not the government they'll scapegoat over that. It's the immigrants. So, <laughs> wow. Okay. I, yeah. I, I didn't know who they were going to scapegoat. Yeah. It's just the people. Got it. Okay. Well, in any in any given situation, when you don't know who the people are going to scapegoat, look at the brown people. It's going to almost inevitably be them. The ones who don't look the it's same. It's going to be them or the Jews. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's kind of... Uh, but the, the, the Tories have an element of their party that's about that anyway. The sort of the far right of the party that Nigel Farage sprang out of into UKIP and Brexit and, and onward from there because he's not going anywhere. He'll just find the next thing uh, that he, he wants to campaign on to stay in the public eye because he's just about staying on the gravy train. He doesn't give a fuck about any of this stuff. 
So they're willing to to use the percentage of Brexit voters who did vote out of uh, a sense of, I want fewer foreigners here. They're willing to, to use those. They're also willing to use the percentage of Brexit voters who are, I just don't think the EU as an institution should be as big as it is and it should be reformed. So they'll go right across the spectrum and try and pull all those together to force through whatever the hell they want, promising all things to everyone and ultimately delivering nothing of the promises they ever, they ever say. I mean, even the last election, the Tories said they were going to, they promised £34 billion worth of extra investment, saying that uh, the austerity that's been the, the watchword of uh, British politics for the last decade, that austerity is now over. They won the election and already, what, a month and a half after the election, they said, actually, we've got, we're going to have uh, £43 billion worth of cuts to public spending. So it's not been six weeks and they've reversed on the austerity is over. It was just a thing that they said to convince people and it worked. And that's what the Tory party is, has been very effective at, is finding the thing to say to convince people um, to get themselves into power and then to try and use that power to, to make, a, make their, their government work. So far it hasn't worked, but Boris Johnson's just got this massive majority and is basically uh, beyond reproach at this point. There's nothing we can really do to hold him to account. Feels like they're not being intellectually honest. That's weird in politics. <laughs> um, okay, one more question for you. This is really important. I think this is a technicality. I might get you out of this right now. You ready, Marsh? Okay, okay. I'm, all, I'm ready. Did Boris Johnson call no backsies? Ooh. Is there a way to do a Ooh. mulligan on this? Yeah. <sighs> I wish, I wish, I wish. The last three and a half years have been a uh, constant search for that mulligan. And and we we're, arguably were even at a point where a mulligan was visible. If not necessarily within our grasp, we could still, we could see it. We had a, a people's vote campaign that was arguing that uh, so much uncertainty around Brexit meant there should be a second referendum. And it was gathering some, uh, some pace behind it. But we also had a left-wing party in, in the form of Labour who felt like that their best chance of power was to win was to push for and win an election um, and they didn't particularly commit one way or another at any point during the first three years of uh, of the, the Brexit conversations uh, as to which way they felt about Brexit because they didn't want to alienate what they saw as the, the voters from their side who w- voted Brexit and they could possibly lose. But along the way, they meant they lost any real coherence or sense of identity so that when they did say, well, actually, if you vote us in, we will have a second referendum, it didn't come with any authenticity. So their policy was general election first, second referendum, once we're in power, they never got into power. And with that and a few other things that happened, the, the People's Vote campaign kind of imploded with infighting, which is a, obviously a rarity for the left, uh, left-wing left politics to ever do, is to implode <laughs> with infighting, while complete enemies on the right of the spectrum stand shoulder to shoulder, knives behind yeah. their backs in, in a show of unity until they get into power and they're smart enough to knife each other in the back once you're in power, not on the way into power. So that was the chance of the mulligan. And all of that chance of a mulligan evaporated with the election result in December because the Tories ran on an unambiguously we will get Brexit done platform and they gained a crushing majority on that platform which means arguably they've got an unimpeachable mandate for all of this and that's the massive worry for me here the real worry is what happens at the end of December when we inevitably don't have the trade agreement in place and we inevitably aren't prepared for how to go forward without one we haven't got the, the mechanisms in place to deal with the fact that we don't no longer can uh, trade favourably with 60% of our economy. Um, to my knowledge, 
there's no option to call Brexit off even at that point. There could have been. It could have been written in the withdrawal agreement. There was even a motion put through in the House of Parliament that if we don't have a full agreement by the end of December, Brexit gets called off or at least put back on hold. Mm-hmm. Um, that was by the by the Tories doing. They had that taken out. They, that, that vote didn't pass. Great. They refused to add that in. So they've called off any chance. You know, this is the playing chicken in a car and you've unscrewed the steering wheel and thrown it out the window. But you're in a small car and you're heading towards an 18-wheeler. And the 18-wheeler doesn't give a fuck whether you've got a steering wheel or not because it's not going to be dented by you. Um, to go back to the, the earlier analogy, what with us falling off the cliff here, the thing is, once you're inches above the floor and you're travelling at the very definition of terminal velocity, you can't decide to have not jumped off the cliff in the first place. And that's where we're going to be fucked. Mm-hmm. Or that's where everyone's going to realise they're fucked. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But there'll be there'll be no coming back from that. Boy, it's always so like heartwarming and 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 encouraging to have you on, Marsh. Like, <laughs> the good news is that maybe eventually, like two three years down the road, we can have Jan because like you guys found a new particle or some shit. Again, you know? <laughs> remember, remember, you guys used to do stuff like that too. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we used to do things in this country, and now we just argue about how to self harm. Great. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just quick note f- for you guys. You know, you don't want you don't want your country getting all politically polarized. That's dangerous. I don't mean to America explain <laughs> to you, but that's like a bad situation. <laughs> Gotta watch out for that. You know. And now they're saying, look, we've left the EU. It's time for us all to come together and get behind this thing that I wanted and didn't compromise on at all. It's time for you to compromise yeah, right. everything yeah, exactly. for my vision, because uh, otherwise you're the one who isn't playing ball here. Uh, yeah, and that's going to be the next 10 years, 20 years, possibly all the way until we eventually rejoin the EU, uh, which may or may not be in my lifetime. Great. I keep ending with more and more depressing endings. <laughs> it's really rough. How about, let's let's do it like this. Why don't you make like a three second noise that sums up the whole thing you just said? We'll end on that. It's <sighs> excellent noise. <laughs> Great. <laughs> All right, on that note, we're going to close it out. Thanks to No Illusions, thanks to Michael Marshall, thanks to Eli Bosnick, and thanks to all the listeners who liked us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and send us feedback on the other various internets. Please keep doing that, please keep listening, and please keep telling your friends. And if you find the naive stupidity of our giving away free show business model to be oddly charming, please feel free to send us gifts of money at our donation page at patreon.com slash skeptocrat. Just like Matt. James, E. Norma, Rubik's Tesseract, Rich. Brilliant name. <laughs> I agree. Also, I endorse Pete Buttigieg for president and a Florida live show. Okay. Never, never do a Florida live show. <laughs> I No? Okay. <laughs> also, Sam, Jake, and Andromeda, whose beautiful dicks and vaginas do something to me that, uh, that I can't explain. Hold me closer, and I feel no pain. Every beat of my heart, we got something going on. Hey, Macarena. Mm, islands in the stream, man. What? <laughs> I didn't know that one. That is I what just... we are. Not, Shot neither them. No one in between. How could we be wrong? Sail away with me. Seriously? Hey, Macarena. To I don't know word. this one. <laughs> we rely YMCA. on each other. Uh-huh. I don't pay attention to lyrics. From I mean, there's just the words that are another. the tune. Uh-huh. uh-huh. I know that. Islands in... Come on! I did Dolly the Dolly Parton, Kenny... It's like the best duet. Get out of here. 
You guys are dead inside. All right. <laughs> Whether or not we're feeling, you're feeling financially benevolent like those fine people. If you enjoyed our brand of whimsy and you'd like to hear more dick jokes free of charge, check out our brother and sister shows, The Scathing Atheist, God Awful Movies, and Citation Needed. Also, maybe the karaoke thing where we sing stuff like Island and the Stream together. I'm going to work on it. Those are all going to be available on iTunes, Stitcher, or the Deep Web. We just have one last thing. Let's compliment that penis. Special thanks to Ryan Slotnick of Evil Drafts on Mars. He's the creator of the virtuosic musical stylings you heard today, which were used with his permission. You should definitely check him out using links we'll provide or by Googling the only band called Evil Drafts on Mars. Until next time, catchphrase sign-off. Punch Mitch McConnell in the cheese plate. <laughs> And by the way, we, we know that both of those things are apocryphal and ascribed to people who didn't really say them, the let them eat cake thing and the letat se moi, not necessarily said by the Sun King, Louis Fourteenth or Marie Antoinette. We get it. You'll send okay. us email anyway. Thanks. Good to know. Good to know. Catchy. When, when Heath says we, he means the three of us collectively. That's right. Together. We all know it. <laughs> <laughs> but how much space? <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> I was wondering which one of us would break first and I thought it's you it's your guy's show it absolutely cannot be me who breaks first I wanted it to be Marsh so bad so we could be like shut the fuck up <laughs> great now we gotta start over we gotta start over no I figure it couldn't be more than 15 I give him 15 and after that I'm like okay I'm <laughs> I thought he's fucking with you least, I was committing to it 100 I was doing exactly what Marsh was doing I was like well I'm not saying anything this is going forever then <laughs> And we're back. Next up in headlines. And in, but it's called Facebook news tonight. <laughs> well, Facebook. Well, you, you could just, you could, you the, could, the next up will work either way. Yeah. So just go, just give us some, um, and we're back. Next up in headlines in, but it's called Facebook. Yes. News. And <laughs> Jesus Christ. Those two complex. Okay. Two. I, I've got it. I got it, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. I'm Ron Burgundy. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And we're back. Next up in headlines. <laughs> in <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're putting so much effort into these. You can hear Eli sweating through that concentrating. <laughs> <sighs> it's Monday. No, that's his thing. Fuck. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Citation Headlines. Courses pluses. <laughs> Plus horses. Don't fuck it up, Heath. You're in my head. Now you're in my head. I don't like it. <laughs> don't do that. It's just everyone's favorite part of the show. It's like an introduction, new listener. It's Monday. We're going here. with it. <laughs> Fine, I'll do it again. Just shut up. Don't look at me. The preceding podcast was a production of Puzzle and a Thunderstorm, LLC. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.